going on everybody welcome into another edition of the daily energy news beat stand up here on this gorgeous monday may 1st 2023 as always i'm your humble correspondent michael tanner coming to you from an undisclosed location here in dallas texas joined by the executive producer of the show the purveyor of the show and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website energynewsbeat.com Stuart turley my man did you have a good weekend Oh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood out here in uh, West Texas. Hey, just want to give you a shout out. I got me a pair of uh, absolutely high speed data. I dubbed the ditch yesterday, baby. I got me some high speed network in my man cave. Yeah, you spent all, all weekend getting your man cave ready and ethernet cord run out there so that you could come on the show and say, I have two. You originally tried to tell me for everybody. He, he was trying to tell me he had two 900 gig lines coming out. I was like, no, no, it's mega. It's, 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 it's megabytes, but whatever. They're fast, baby. They are still fast. So we appreciate Stu putting in all the work to make sure that we can bring you guys the show. And he was managed to actually put up a great lineup, guys, this weekend. We had a huge amount of stories, Stu. It was absolutely cooking. Lots of earnings. So this show is packed first up on the menu. Europe is buying a record amount of refined fuels through India and paying a huge markup. This is absolutely insane to think about the Russian oil flowing from Russia to India getting marked up and being sent to Europe. And again, the consumer takes it in the drive-through. So Stu will cover um, <laughs> what's going on um, with that trade. Next, data insight, the cost of a wind turbine has increased by 38% in two years to the surprise of nobody considering what's going on with inflation right now. So Stu will dive into what some of those numbers are saying on wind energy. Next up, financing the energy transition. We need a plan to provide the lowest kilowatt hour along the path. This is a uh, opinion article as Stu's got a nice publisher's note on it and, and and we'll dive into what's going on really in the energy transition and how it's going to be financed. Uh, finally, we will cover JP Morgan, eyes first Republic after FDIC takeover. I think this has some, there, there, there's a little bit to do with what's going on um, with the current energy markets right now. So, so, so Stu will dive in and cover what's really going on in the banking center, which is pretty insane right now. He'll throw it over to me. We'll cover what's going on in the oil and gas market, specifically oil uh, finishing about two, two and a half percentage points up uh, 76-ish dollars in that, in that range. Again, do we do, what do we see going forward this week on both that some crazy price action in natural gas, but it currently settled at two dollars and forty one cents here before the open as we record this on Sunday, and then we will quickly round up with Exxon and Chevron earnings. It's going to be a busy earnings week, guys. Newsbeat's your best place to stay up to speed on all of that stuff. So we'll cover uh, Chevron and Exxon. Um, before I hand it over to Stu, though, guys, again www.energynewsbeat.com. It's where all of the stories we're about to cover from. Hit the description below. Take a look. You'll be able to see every story in the lineup, you know, dashboard.energynewsbeat.com, the best place for all your data and energy news combined. Uh, get it while you still can. You never know where it might go. Stu does a great job of curating this website to make sure all of the top energy stories are there, guys. I'm out of breath though, Stu. Where do you want to begin today? Oh, mighty young millennial. How, uh, what a great job. We've got some stories coming around. Europe is buying record amounts of refined Russian fuels through India and paying a huge markup. Michael, Iran taught 
Russia how to avoid sanctions. Mm -hmm. Irina Slav has always said sanctions don't work. They get Mm -hmm. you in the drive through. And uh, last Russia, uh, let's see, Russia was bypassing Europe's so-called commodities embargo when it was selling LNG to China, which then turned around and sold the LNG back to Europe (laughs) markup. They took that and now India has learned from China uh, and India has become so good at reselling. This is a quote out of the article uh, selling re, uh, Russian oil to the same Europeans who refuse to buy it directly from Moscow at a much lower price. But the Asian country is on track to become Europe's largest supplier of refined fuels this month, simultaneously bringing record amount of Russian buying record amounts of Russian crude. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely insane. That's from a data analytics firm out of Kepler, which um, I, I, I really do trust. I, they've got some great products over there. It's absolutely insane. I mean, you think yep. about it. It's a 25 barrel discount, basically going from Brent to Euro price difference, which is about a third of the pull price of the barrel of crude oil, which is absolutely right. insane. And that markup is even greater when you talk about refined products, aka your diesel and gasoline. I mean, if you're India... It's a no-brainer. If you're an Indian trader, right. <laughs> this is a no-brainer if you're Modi. Oh, and there's 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 a couple. Uh, you always call these what, uh, Michael? Second, uh, what's your, you always second? Second order effects. Second order effects. Bloomberg notes in this article, the development is a double-edged sword for the EU. On one hand, the bloc needs alternative sources of diesel now that it has cut off the direct flows from Russia, which are still Russia. (laughs) They're still getting it. But previously, it's top supplier. However, it ultimately boosts the demand for Moscow's barrels and means extra freight cost and impact to the environment. In other words, Europe achieves none of its embargo goals while being hit with a far higher energy prices. The secondhand smoke out of this, Michael, is simply the fact that it's going to continue to devalue the dollar because now this is all being bought outside of the petrodollar. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, it is crazy. They're they're trading bananas now for, you know, <laughs> no, what, what, is this in rubles now or is it won? Uh, both. Oh, I was doing, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it depends on which tanker. And Michael, you're going to throw up. The dark fleet is making oh, a big difference. Go ahead. <laughs> roll your eyes uh, for our I will. listeners. I will. I will roll my eyes. What's next? Okay. That was funny. All right. Data insight. Michael couple things. How often when you walk to the water cooler at the office, you always hear, oh, by the way, wind energy is all, maybe not in your office, but we always hear it from That's everybody. Exact, it's exactly <laughs> what I hear every day at the office, that the cost of wind energy is going down. That's what's getting thrown around at my water cooler. Uh, no, that was stupid. But other people's, we hear it from folks all the time. Data insights, cost of a wind turbine has increased 38% in two years and the cost for critical minerals is up. The average price, this is the main headline here on this, the average price of the seven most significant critical minerals for the wind energy has increased by Michael, drum roll, give me a drum roll. Uh, 93% out of January, since January, 2020, 93%. That's That's pretty insane. That's a bad dog number. And think about how many kids are being forced into uh, slave labor on this. Okay. A couple keynotes. 
for commodity trainers, it's been big uh, traders. It's been big business across the sector, which includes hedge funds, banks, big traders like Glencore. Profits soared 11, 115 billion in 2022. And Glencore is one of the largest coal mine. It owns some of the largest coal mines around the world. So this is where people just it just cracks me up that we're, we're the we're buying all of our critical minerals from the same people who are supplying millions of tons of coal. And I'm okay with right. the coal being supplied, but it's just you, there's so much hypocrisy in this. It all just drips with it. You know, and if you sit here, I'm going to get a crayon. And when I get some time to do some research, I've got several other projects I'm working on. And it says data from the Energy Monitor's parent company, Global Data, shows that the average cost required to build one megawatt of wind turbine uh, capacity has increased 38% over the two years. This is a marked contrast to years of steady price declines as technology improved. A, a couple things. That still does not keep none of this includes the cost for the increased cost to the grid and the additional wind turbines that you have to because Meredith Angwin and I'm also interviewing Robert Bryce on Tuesday uh, for our podcast as well and both of them have talked about the amount of extra wind power and solar that you need to add to the grid so it's not one megawatt to one megawatt. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable article. Let's go to the next one, Michael. Financing the energy transition. Follow the money. We need a plan to provide the lowest kilowatt per hour along the path. The cost of moving the energy sector toward net zero is huge, but new research reveals that companies are increasingly prepared to invest and funding is increasingly available. Let's find out those sectors, Michael. Coming around the corner. What are energy companies, alloc- where are energy companies al- allocating capital? 42% of energy companies are investing in energy transition initiatives. 11 per, or 28% now is in uh, returns to investors and shareholders. It used to be 11%. Ooh. Wow. All right. Capital investments in traditional businesses in oil and gas, Michael, this is critical. It used to be two years ago, 32%. Now it's down to 20%. And three years, three, two years ago, Michael, you and I had on our show, we could pull the tape. Uh, We needed trillions of dollars just to meet uh, the decline curves if demand uh, just remained flat. The IEA, the International Energy Association uh, Agency, said just recently, two weeks ago, that energy demand will remain constant for a while. Oops. The International Energy Crime Syndicate, you mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll leave my true thoughts alone on that in the e, in the EU. I mean, excuse me, the, um, yeah, uh, the, the IEA. UN. Yeah, the yeah, IEACC? The, yeah, the uh, uh, UN. Okay. Uh, How will they fund this? Uh, uh, How will energy companies finance their energy transition initiatives? Private equity, 40%. Existing balance sheet, or Michael, I'm assuming this would be free cash flow, 32%. Mm. Equity capital markets, 29%. Data capital markets, 20%. Debt capital markets, debt. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, old Moses, me, friends. Bank loans, 19 percent. 
Export Credit Agency, 40%. Hey, I went to OSU, but that is a lot more than 100%. I know I was gonna I was asking that. I was like, the same thing. I was like, yeah, that seems like uh is this printing money? I gotta go do this. Some is, research. This is, is this? this is this is how you start inflation. I, this has gotta be printing money. I, I think there's two things, Stu. I think it's clear. I think it's clear. I think the the, the, the bigger shift is this. You mentioned it in the big of it. Where are energy companies allocating capital? Returns to investors and shareholders up. From 11 to 28% in capital investment in traditional businesses, down about the same amount, 32 to 20. So it's just a flip. People are saying, okay, instead of spending all of this money in putting it into the ground, just give it back to me. Because think about it, the track record of oil and gas spending capital from 2012 to 2020 to 2018 was terrible. And it's still kind of is terrible. Right. Drilling's a tough business. You know, actually spending capital and spending it wisely is a tough business. So I'm not surprised that is flip. I think what, you know, this whole 42% investing in the energy transition. Are we sure about that? Like define energy transition. Like, are we talking about like, I got to find out if it includes nuclear and natural gas now, because yeah, I mean, if it is these, this, this article is then going green. Yeah. uh, You know, so. Funny article. I, I was like, okay, if you put peel out the uh, coming from the bank balance sheet, that might make a little good, but who knows? Okay, I got to go do some research on that article. Sorry about that. Market rally shakeout may be bullish, uh, may be a bullish signal. JP Morgan eyes first republic after FDIC takeover. Michael, this concerns me a bunch. The FDIC seen taking over first republic. Uh, banking giants, including JP Morgan Chase and PNC Financial Services, are looking to buy First Republic following a government seizure. The Wall Street Journal reported Friday night, citing sources. The FDIC asked for initial bids by Sunday. Bloomberg reported on Sunday after, I was going to say gouging, but gauging initial interest. Bank of America is mulling it. Michael, this is systemic of an overall problem. And if the government keeps bailing out banks, it's going to be an issue. What are your thoughts? Well, this comes back to the issue of these larger banks. Like, like I, I think it's important to note that JP Morgan would need a regulatory waiver to buy First Republic. So they clearly think they're going to get the waiver. If they're all right. spending, if they're, you know, I mean, they, they, they got their whole team working on I mean, what's kind of funny is JP Morgan does M&A for other companies. Imagine being on the M&A deal team for right. JP Morgan. That's got to be an interesting deal team. Um, I'd love to get, I'd love to hear some stories about that. Not for dealing, um, but the, where this is all going to lead is again, Bank of America is among some of the banks buying first look. It's much like in the oil and gas business, you're seeing massive consolidation because of just the way the, stru- the equity and debt markets are structured. It favors big versus right. small. I think that's what you're going to see happen in the banking industry. You're going you're gonna to see all of these regional banks get swallowed up by you know much larger regional banks. And then those larger regional banks will get swallowed up eventually by JP Morgan. And you'll have you know 10 to 20 banks throughout the country. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's Probably on average, a bad thing. There may be some good things about it. You don't need to worry about, you know, one one of the advantages of having just huge banks is liquidity. You don't have to worry about a run on deposits. The FDIC then can worry about other different things. Now, 
having all of you having all of your deposits in one bank can also lead to massive you know we, we already think wall street has too much power and too much control over our lives imagine if if jp morgan had all the power now i like if yeah. now i think the thing to be careful of is in this case yes i actually you know, if I'm going to put my my money anywhere, it's going to be in J.P. Morgan, mainly based off what Jamie Dimon has said regarding the energy transition and his stance on oil and gas. He was one of the right. few CEOs that sat up in front of Congress and said moving and getting off oil and gas would be the road to hell. I love he, that did. he said that. That's a yes. quote directly from him. Now, what happens when a new CEO takes over and doesn't believe that? What happened? Right. The problem with centralization is you're counting on the people in charge. You may like the people in charge now, but do we like, would we, will we like them going forward? So there has to be a balance. We have to figure out a way to ride this ship, but it may, JP Morgan may be the only company that could buy this. So I'll be interested to see what happens, but I think that's what's going to happen. Consolidation yeah. among banks and we'll be generally worse off because of it. I will give you a uh, great, great feedback, Michael. Uh, one small thing in, in you, you kind of uh, said, what do you think uh, about more big banks? It would be easier for the government to control the rollout of the Hamilton project, which is the digital currency, which is the end of financial freedom for the U.S. So that to me is even more scary on that part. Sorry. Oh, you're good. The Hamilton project. Um, but, uh, but no, you know, obviously first Republic, they're in trouble, their stocks down, you know, it's basically down over a hundred percent. You got huge quarter one deposit outflows. You know, (laughs) there was an attempt to, to quasi rescue it, but it, the FDIC came in and just said, no, we're putting you up for bid right now. Someone will buy it. They won't necessarily um, have to go into receivership. So I think that'll be convenient for everybody, but um, we'll see. Wouldn't, wouldn't want to be in a regional bank right now. Uh, no. Hey, off to you in finance, dude. Great job. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple guys. Oil prices traded up on Friday. We're, we're currently sitting at $2 or uh, uh, 76, 78. That's up $2 and 70 uh, or 2.7%. Implied open though is 76.63 as we record this here Sunday afternoon. So, you know, forces pulling on, on, on oil prices again are going to be the overall economy. What happens with, 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 with the dollar. So will go oil prices, you know, banks collapsing. I'll be interested to see what that does to oil prices. You can make one argument where, you know, instability in the banking sector leads to lower crude oil prices, but also you could see crude oil prices increase as it's seen as, uh, as a stable quote unquote. So as a, something that's an alternative to currency, if there's huge flights of deposits, maybe the one thing having a tanker crude full of crude oil, you're going to be able to get something for that. Regardless of where you take that tanker or crude oil, you'll be able to get some money for that, regardless of what currency or what what flavor it looks like. So you could, I could make an argument both ways, but I do see a tumultuous week um, for oil prices. Um, as we looked over to the natural gas, we had some really interesting price action on Friday. We had a huge spike up um, all the way over $2.50, but currently settled at $2.41. That's that on on total, on aggregate was up $2 or 2.34 percentage points implied open $2.39. Um, this is a great quote from Josh Elbin. He's an, he's a, a ref, a 
Rafiti, national uh, natural gas analyst. He's uh, been speculating over the past few sessions on when production might start to head downward. We certainly have not seen that turn yet. Overall, we are back to roughly January levels. And what that means is supply has really been surprised to the upside, which has sort of forced prices down at this point. And as we move into the summer, nothing, it, it doesn't look to necessarily get that better. You know, to give you guys an idea, we've got, you know, Weather does look to be a little bit lower for our lower this week. So I think that is what's supporting prices, at least in the short term, but in the long term. I think we're still in this two to two dollar and fifty range. And I don't necessarily see it getting much above that. Freeport's all the way online. It did nothing. I mean, I swung and missed in that. I'll be I'll be taking one in the shorts now for a while. Um I think the only other interesting thing to cover this weekend is, is we're going to have a lot of earnings, guys. And the one thing I'd recommend is go to www.com, energynewsbeat.com, type in earnings. You're going to be able to see all of the different earnings. First off, you're going to be able to see um, we've got 158 coming out. That's total S&P Whoa. 500. But I think there's like 50 or 60 specific oil and gas ones. If you need to stay up to speed on what's going on with earnings, check that tag out on our website. Great place. Um, Exxon and Chevron dropped their earnings. I thought both. Both were obviously positive. Um, to give you an idea on Exxon, income rose to $2.79 per share or $11.43 billion compared to $5.84 billion a year ago. But you have to remember a year ago, they took a, a write down of their Russian assets. Um, Exxon saw its oil and gas production rose, rise by nearly 300,000 barrels per day compared to year ago levels, including again, those asset sales. Um, it was a $3.4 billion after-tax write down of its Russian oil. They ended with $32.7 billion. I love how they say this in their press release. They ended with $32.7 billion in cash. But on the call, CFO Catherine Minkles said that there is, they're not necessarily saving that cash. Um, for mergers, they would like they, they'd be open to deals that could offer synergies and drive good returns to shareholders. But it's focused really on the Permian, Guyana, and its Beaumont refinery expansion. So um, nothing new on the potential rumors of Exxon and Pioneer. But sitting on $32.7 billion in cash, one only wonders what they're going to do with that. Or maybe they have their eyes on another producer, aka Oxy, which is what I would be looking at if I was uh, Exxon. But I'm not. So we'll cover Chevron's earnings. Um, they were um, $3.46 per share, but that was only $6.6 billion of earnings. For the first quarter, again, that was compared to uh, 6.3 the year before, but they did not have to take some sort of tax-related charge. But they did have a $130 million tax charge related to its energy profits levied in the UK. So the first of the windfall tax uh, windfall profits tax due, $130 million tax charge related to its energy profits levied in the United Kingdom. Ooh, ooh. Wow. So someone they're getting taxed. I wonder how much BP took. We'll have to, when they drop their earnings, it'll be interesting to see, but, but that oh, windfall, yeah. there's that windfall profit tax. Um, Quote from Mike Wirth, Chevron's chairman and CEO, we're delivering strong financial results and increasing return to sh- shareholders. Um, the company's return on capital has employed been great has has been more than twelve percent for seven seven quarters, and the company has returned six point six point six billion to shareholders in the first quarter, an increase from sixty five percent last year. So the first thing they tout is its return to shareholders. Um, share per repurpose program was increased to seventeen point five billion. Again, the middle finger to the Biden administration continuing to buy back stock. To give you guys an idea from a business pers- perspective, they're not up in the Mad Dog Two project out of Gulf of Mexico, which is headed up by BP. That project achieved first oil. Um, looking to 
supply somewhere under 140,000 BOE per day when it's all online between 22 um, laterals there in the Gulf of Mexico. They started crude oil liftings from Venezuela, supplying 8.7 million barrels of crude oil um, to the US during the first quarter. They had 75 exploration blocks in the Gulf of Mexico receiving winning bids on in the lease sale uh, 2059. We covered that about four weeks ago, um, subject to obviously to final government approval, but we have a feeling that is for some low-hanging fruit carbon capture because the next bullet point they mention is announced an expansion of the Bayou Bend carbon capture and sequestration project in the U.S. Gulf Coast through acquisition of nearly 100,000 acres of pore space positioning Bayou Bend to become one of the nation's largest carbon storage projects in the U.S. Done, done, done. So when we talk about investing in the energy transition, if this is included in the energy transition, then obviously, yes, that article we covered about four articles ago, Stu, that makes sense to me about where the money, but are they buying wind farms? No. And this is a smart business move for Chevron. In this case, I love the way they're run. I, I'm a big fan of them. I know people will, will have other thoughts about them, but I think they're they're making some, some clear strategic moves to get into that carbon capture market and cement themselves alongside Oxy as a huge player here. Love the moves. Yeah, they they took the uh, lesson from BP and did not follow the European Total Energy and BP. But Total. But yes, total. they let BP swing and miss at that one. And we're like, hmm, maybe we should reevaluate. Yeah. Oops. Retro. Oops. What are you looking out for this, Stu, as we let people go? Um, anything they need to be watching for this week? Uh, some big news coming around the corner on global front. I'll keep you posted. Oh, a little you don't like it when I say that, do you? <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> now I get nervous, but we appreciate you guys sticking with us. We hope you have a great Monday. We're going to let you get out of here. For Stuart Turner, I'm Michael Tanner, guys. Check us out. www.energynewsbeat.com. We'll see you tomorrow.